that has a sliding scale, right? So we do not want kind of a squishy, westernized 21st century definition of love. Because if you look at the 21st century definition of love, it's I love you, I marry you, you, get, you make me mad, and I leave you. That's western love. I love you as long as you love me back. I will be nice to you as you're nice to me back. That is not biblical love at all. One reason for the law is to turn us towards the Lord. That happens when our focus is taken away from idols, anger, selfishness, a litany of voices. But as we'll hear Pastor Daniel say today, God's commandments also lead us to others, helping, discipling, loving, all of those characteristics that communicate the love of Jesus and not our own agendas. Listen and be encouraged in knowing that the law is not an obstacle, but a gift. Now, here's Pastor Daniel with his continuing study entitled, Ten Commandments. Verse 21, is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. Now listen to this. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. But the scripture has confined all under sin that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, you, we are no longer under a tutor. So what Paul says, in effect, is that the law was given to be a tutor. And you ever t- have a tutor in school before? Like, I remember when I was in college, I had to take a calculus class, and I had slacked off on math for a long time. And I'm like, if, there, if there's any way I'm going to pass this, I need help. And I got a tutor who helped me understand calculus, at least well enough to pass the test. See, a tutor is meant to help you understand that you need something. And the law functioned to be our tutor until Christ came. The law's job was to remind us every single day that we are not good enough. Now, what's interesting about this whole idea of the law is that if you look at the different strains in Christianity, which we very much, I mean, we're a part of that. But every style of Christianity oftentimes has some sort of legalism baked into it. And it's because of the legalism that's baked into it. You know, like um, they would say that religion is the opiate of the masses. That it's a power play. That's that's the way Nietzsche and and, and a lot of these postmodern philosophers talk about it. And the reason they say that is because a lot of people do it that way. Like you look at the Catholic Church and its history. They wouldn't put the scriptures in the average person's language. Why? Because then you'd keep coming to church. And, And you could make them give you money to have your sins forgiven so you can build big buildings. And that's what they did. And they use it to enslave people. If you saw the movie, The Book of Eli, that came out with Denzel Washington, there's a guy in it, the the evil antagonist guy. He just wants a Bible because he knows he can enslave people with the words within it. So it's so easy, 
even for Christians, even though we know that the law is meant to tutor us so that we come to Christ, oftentimes Christians use the law to try and keep people under the law. But Jesus said, whom the Son sets free is what? Free indeed. And that's why, look, if you like to worship on Saturday or Sunday, just worship God. I say worship God every day. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Some of you say, hey, I think it's totally wrong to have a, a drink of alcohol. Others you say, hey, as long as I'm not drunk, I feel like it's okay. Guess what? Either do it or don't do it to the glory of God. Just read Romans chapter 14. You know what I mean? It's like, it's so easy to get legally minded instead of feeling the liberty to say, hey, some of us, we have differences on these secondary issues, but the one thing that holds us together is Jesus. Jesus fulfilled the law because I couldn't. Now, because of God's grace, should we just do whatever we want and sin like rock stars? No, right? Paul in, in the King James in the book of Romans said, God forbid. So we don't want to have a view of cheap grace. Cheap grace says, I can't fulfill it. Jesus fulfilled it in my place so I can do whatever I want and I'll be forgiven. Okay, that's cheap grace. That's not biblical grace. Biblical grace says, look, I could never do it. Jesus did it in my place. And I receive Jesus and I live my life in response to what God has done for me. And because God loved me so much that Jesus died a brutal death, I'm not going to do all those things that I know are sin. Why? Because Jesus had to die because of that. When we look at that cross, whether you wear it on your necklace or whatever you do, the reason Jesus was there is because of me and because of you and the, and the rebellion that we live under. And if you care about somebody, you do not want to break their heart all over again. So we live our lives in response to the reality that we couldn't keep the law Jesus died in our place to receive the punishment that we deserved because of our breaking the law. So if you speed, you get a speeding ticket, you have to pay a fine. The wages of sin is death. That's why Jesus died. That's why it was important. So we live our lives in response to that. So Jesus fulfilled it. We never could. Now, finally, as we're going to get into the law, I'm going to keep bringing this to you because I think this is the most important thing. Because of 613 commandments, rabbis are always looking to, to break it down to the most basic level. You can read all through rabbinical writings with all these commandments. What's the, what's the most important commandment? And they asked Jesus. Jesus wasn't the first guy to answer it this way. Actually, Rabbi Akiva, about 100 years earlier, said almost the exact same thing. But they said, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus said, of course, in Matthew 22, verse 36 to 40, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And of course, that's quoting Deuteronomy 6, 5. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So he quotes Deuteronomy 6, 5 and Leviticus 19, 18. So when you're interpreting the law, whether it's the Ten Commandments or the other 603 that we're going to look at as we travel through the Torah, what is the most important commandments? That it's all about loving God and loving people. The two eternal things in the world, the two greatest investments you can ever make. You love God, and because you love God and God loves you and God loves people, you love people. So when all else fails, love God and love people. And every way we're going to interpret the law is going to come back to those two commandments. You love God and you love people. Now, let me make one more qualification, then we'll start moving a little faster. Okay. We live in a day and age where love is a word that has a sliding scale, right? 
So we do not want kind of a squishy, westernized 21st century definition of love. Because if you look at the 21st century definition of love, it's I love you, I marry you, you, get, you make me mad, and I leave you. That's Western love. I love you as long as you love me back. I will be nice to you as you're nice to me back. That is not biblical love at all, okay? Biblical love is a self-sacrificial love. And so the Apostle Paul in the book of Ephesians chapter 5 says that we should speak the truth in love. You put those two words together, truth and love. And John Stott, a great commentator, don't agree with everything John has ever said, but this quote he nails, I think, that truth without love is brutality and love without truth is hypocrisy. So truth without love is brutality. Love without truth is hypocrisy. So when we talk about loving God and loving people, it's a love and a truth that's married together. So I think a lot of what's going on in Christianity today is people say, I want to be loving, but they're afraid to hold God's truth in their hand. And so you get this kind of hypocritical of, I can't say that because I'm just loving people. It's like, well, no, no, no. God's love was so profound that Jesus died. But we also have to be careful because we're here in a Bible teaching church. A lot of you have been raised in Bible teaching churches. Sometimes we can be like Peter with the sword, the word of God, and we're cutting people's heads off. Remember Peter? He took that sword. You figured Peter was trying to cut Malchus's head off. He only hit his ear. That's kind of Peter's MO, right? He was aiming, but he just totally missed. We have to be careful not to be the type of people that, we're, that the truth is more important to us than the love of God. Because people get hurt because of that. I meet people all the time. And I start talking to them. We start talking about the Lord. And they're like, yeah, you know, so you know, my uncle, my aunt, my this, my friend, we're Christian. And they were just so judgmental. Just, I hate Jesus. And I'm like, yeah, I'm so sorry about that. We have to be careful. Because the truth without love is brutality. And it's really easy when we don't agree with someone's lifestyle to truth them without loving them. And it hurts. And we drive people away thinking that the wrath of man will produce the righteousness of God. That's James 1.20. It doesn't do it. But the goodness of the Lord leads a man to repentance. So the greatest commandment, we love God and we love people. So every time we interpret a law, we're going to do, what does it mean to, in truth, love God? And what does it mean to, in truth, love people? That's how we're going to interpret all of them. Make sense? So if you have any more questions about that, I'll do my best to answer them. So let's take the first commandment. Take the first commandment here. Verse 3. You shall have no other gods before me. So the first commandment is clearly that it's only God. Only God. No other gods. Now, in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 7, there's the retelling of, of all of these commandments. You get, that's what Deuteronomy means. Deutero, second, namos, in, in Greek means law. So Deuteronomy is literally named the second telling of the law. That's what it means. Deutero, namas, slam together, Deuteronomy. So in Deuteronomy 5, 7, it says the exact same thing. You shall have no other gods before me. So this is the essential foundation for the building of God's covenant community. Martin Luther very clearly said that if you break the first commandment, that you have another God other than God, you will break all the other ones. It's kind of like the all-encompassing question. And for each one of us, I believe that this first commandment, it's the whole enchilada for all of us. It really is. Because 
whenever we value something or someone before God, you have an idol. And all of us, our hearts are veritable idol factories. We're always looking to value ourselves based on something or someone other than God. We do it with our spouses. We do it with our kids. We do it with our significant others. We do it with our careers, our looks, our size of our television. I mean, it's amazing. If, if, you're, if you look at your heart and you're honest about what's in there, there's, once you deal with one thing, there's another thing. Because our hearts in our fallenness are always looking to derive value somewhere. And so we always have to be on guard against it. Every sin that any of us have ever committed is always in its root the breaking of the first commandment. Now think about this. Remember when Adam and Eve were in the garden? How did Satan tempt them? You'll be like God. You'll be like God. That's, that was the temptation. Like, God's ripping you off. You're allowed, yes, you're allowed to eat every single tree, and it was, it was a paradise. So everything in there was amazing, and there was one prohibition. I mean, it's amazing. I always say, oh, God's so mean, right? You can eat all that you want. Just this one tree, right? On one prohibition, Satan comes, make man, God's ripping you guys off. If you eat it, you'll be like him. And what happened? They were like, well, I don't want to miss out. So they ate the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And you know what's amazing? Humanity became self-conscious at that moment. How do we know? What did they notice? They were naked. All of a sudden, they became self-aware. And in a human's understanding that they're self-aware, we have a God complex right there. Right there. Because now all of a sudden, you notice if someone likes you or doesn't like you, gives you what you want or doesn't give you what you want. And so each one of us in our struggling against sin, it's always because we want what we want in opposition to what God wants for us. And most often, the idol in our own heart is ourselves. And know what's amazing about that? No matter what culture you're in, no matter what generation, I could have said this, I'm saying this now, if I lived 3,000 years ago and said the same thing, it's still true. Read, read world history, human history, over and over again, it's people struggling with wanting to be the center of the universe. And every single war, every single bit of human tragedy, I mean, I mean, think about it. Where the rubber meets the road. What, 7 billion people on the earth? 2.4 billion of them live on less than a dollar a day. And we, we can see the pictures. We don't even bat an eye about it, right? We don't even think about it. Now, I hope that makes you struggle a little bit, right? Like, we have an obesity epidemic, but one-third of the world's population is starving to death. It shouldn't be that way, but it is that way. And we're so used to it being that way that we don't think twice about it, but we should. Because if we loved as God loved, we'd say, you know, we're going to find a way to fix that. And you know what's amazing? If we really decided we wanted to fix it, we would. We would. So in each one of our hearts, there's that God problem. Now, all through the Bible, we get all these different gods that pop up, like the god Baal. And Baal's characteristic was power. A lot of us, 
We wouldn't bow the knee to Jesus because we want our own power. The god Ashtoreth was signified by sex and sexuality. Huge thing. I mean, our culture definitely has a sexuality idol. Without a doubt. The god Mammon was, of course, the love of money. The love of money. So, the first commandment, no other gods, only him. He gets the first billing. Now, once you move into the New Testament, Jesus starts saying some very aggressive things. And it's interesting, I, I have a friend who has not put his faith and trust in Jesus. I grew up with him. And uh, he gets really frustrated when he wants to try and slap me around with my faith in Jesus. He always pulls these verses out. Because he said, oh, how could you believe in Jesus when Jesus would say something like this? And so I'll just, re- I'll read it to you. This is Luke 14, 26 to 28. And it's true. Jesus is saying some really wild stuff here. He says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? And he's like, man, how could you believe it? Jesus said you should hate your mom, hate your dad, hate your wife, hate your children, hate your family, hate yourself. And he thinks that that's like his way of like sticking it to me. Like you silly Christian man. But what is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying the first commandment. You can't have any other God, not even yourself, he says. If you love yourself more than you love Jesus, then you are not worthy of me, he's saying. He's just reiterating the first commandment. But let's be honest. When we read that, that should make us a little uncomfortable, doesn't it? Are we willing to trust God and love God more than our spouse, more than our parents, more than our kids? You know what's interesting? Our culture doesn't value that kind of teaching. They would say it's bad for self-esteem. But if you read the research, all the self-esteem training isn't helping anybody. Why? Because entitlement is everywhere. Kids just think, hey, I'm alive, so just give me a smile, a million bucks, and let me do whatever I want to do. People come out of college and they expect that they should be the CEO, even though they never even lifted a finger. And, and the research is coming out. Why? Because we don't teach people that, listen, you are not the center of the universe. You're not. And know what happens when you, when you think you are and nobody else realizes it? You're just miserable. It's true. I mean, how many of us have been in relationships with people where you just can't understand why it's just not all about you? And you're like, wow, they're so selfish. And the reason they're selfish is because they're not all about you because you're being selfish. And I'm not talking down on anyone because I do the same thing. Well, what about me? Right? We're all struggling with the first commandment. Because the first commandment is God gets the top building. Why? Now you might say, well, why is God so narcissistic then? Why does God need the top building? Because God knows that he is ultimate reality. He is the only one worthy of worship. And if you put God first, then you can really love your spouse. And you can really love your kids. And you can really love your parents. And you can really have a healthy self-image. That's what the Bible teaches. You might say, well, how is that possible? Now think about this. If God is first, you're going to have the healthiest self-image. Why? Because 
When you love God, God is really honest with us, which means first that we were totally created in his image, which is super cool. It's really amazing that God created you and I in his image after his own likeness. That humanity is the crowning jewel of creation. Doesn't mean that it's the only thing he cared about. Everything that God made, he said it was good. When God created humanity, he said it's very good. There's something special about humanity. So humanity is God's special kids. But in the same way, humanity is fatally flawed. We have that sin nature. And what's great about the Lord is that the Lord does not want us to pretend like it's not there. He says, look, you're special, but you've also got some issues. And that's honest. That's honest. See, self-esteem training says you're special. You're special. You can do anything you want. I'll be honest, I didn't like that teaching growing up at all. Because all I ever wanted to be was a center on a basketball team. And I know standing up here, I look a lot tall. I love it. I meet you guys in the family room. You're like, Pastor Dan, you're a lot shorter than you look on stage. And I'm like, well, I got four feet, you know, and I'm on these 20, 50-inch screens or whatever. I look, I look like Dwight Howard on steroids. You know? I always wanted to be a center in basketball, but I'm, I'm literally five foot seven. And I, the only way I can play center if I'm playing Obadiah's first grade class. And then I got some big ups. But other than that, I'm, you know, I'm not even guard size. I mean, I'd be lucky on my side if I could be a water boy on a basketball team. So telling me I can do whatever I want when I'm five foot seven is just not very fair. You set me up for ultimate failure. Because you can't really do anything you want. You can do anything that God has empowered and created you to do. And nothing more. Do you see? So Jesus starts talking about these things. And he starts saying these things because he's pushing them to remind them. Say, listen, if you value anything more, anything more than God, then you're not worthy of God. Because God, if he is God, is the only one who deserves to be worshipped. So if we're going to apply the first commandment now, for each one of us, do we have things or people that we place before God. Is there something that if God were to ask you to do something that you would say no? Like the rich young ruler, if God asked you to sell everything and give it to the poor and follow him, would you say no? That answer is yes. Then you've broken the first commandment. You have an idol. If God would say to you, listen, I'm going to take your spouse home because it's his time or her time, If that would make you angry at God, then you have an idol. I hate saying it, but a child. It's a hard teaching. It's a hard teaching, but it's it's a true teaching. We all should go through lives with open hands like this and say, Lord, my life is yours. And whatever you're going to do, Lord, I'm going to praise you just the same because you're God. And your ways are higher than my ways. Your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. Jesus is real. Today we learn from Pastor Daniel that Adam and Eve were given only one prohibition. But when they violated God's law, it made the relationship between man and God more contentious. We struggle against sin because we want what we want. He wants us to remove the idols so we can love properly. 
We're so happy that you're a part of the Jesus is Real Radio family. Jesus is Real Radio is a listener-supported program. We want to let the whole world know that Jesus is real. Your donations help make this possible. You can become a monthly supporter or give a one-time gift by text message. It's easy. Simply text your gift to 855-910-8300. That's 855-910-8300. Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram have become a regular part of our everyday lives. And we want to be sure to encourage you to check out Pastor Daniel's Facebook page, Twitter feed, and Instagram. Log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com and follow the links. Pastor Daniel shares two-minute video messages throughout the week on his Facebook page. Log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com and follow Pastor Daniel. Place a marker in your Bibles and join us next time as Pastor Daniel moves from a discussion about worshiping false gods to worshiping God in a false way. God says he's a jealous God, and we'll find out what that means next time. Well, that's all the time we have for today's broadcast. On behalf of Pastor Daniel and the entire production team, we invite you to join us again for the next edition of Jesus is Real Radio. Jesus is real. My life is no typical.